You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, the next word, Vitana or Vitana Maisile Mehocha. Atana can mean two things when you see it in the, uh, in the Talmud. It normally means, and the normative way of what it means is, a, a person who lived in the time of the Tanoim. What is the time of the Tanoim? Well, the time of the Tanoim is the, uh, the generations before the Mishnah was put together. Those are Tanoim. Who are the earliest Tanoim? Well, go to Pirkei Ovos and you will see, here's Bajik. Go to Pirkei Ovos and you'll see who Tanoim are. That the Tanoim are Shimon Atzadik is one of the first. Of course, what does that mean? It means that they have they, that they have provided teaching. How come Shmuel Hanavi is not a Tana? Well, uh, Shmuel Hanavi is an important person, but he's not a Tana. There are teachings that we know from him. What we're talking about is halachic Torah Shabalpeh teachings that come from that period that this work was being developed. That's what a Tana is. Now, Shimon HaTzadik is a Tana, but there's very little from him. Just that statement in Pirkei Avos. Um, as uh, you go further in Pirkei Avos, and you go to the various, uh, the Zugot, Antigonus Ishtzocho, and, and, and Yossi Ben Yoezer, um, there's a little bit more. But really, the period of the Tanoim really flourishes uh, at the time of Shammai and Hillel. So Shammai and Hillel is where we actually start getting many, many statements from that period. And the students of Shammai and Hillel. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was, of course, the student of, 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 of Hillel. Yochanan ben Zakkai's students, uh, the way they are mentioned, and that's Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Gamliel. That's where we have the Tanoim. And there we have a... Uh, a uh, it's not a plethora, but a tremendous amount of information and laws and halachos. Those are the Tanoim. Yehuda Hanasi, who put the Mishnah together, really represents the end of that period, although there's still some vestiges of even people who are younger than him who could be considered perhaps Tanoim. That's, that's one definition of a Tana. Now, there is a unwritten, well, it's actually a written rule, that that the Amaroyim, the people from the generations afterwards, need to align with the Tanoyim. They aren't, and again, you'll say, why not? Why aren't they just as smart? Um, the Rambam created a, uh, perhaps a fiction, but at least it's a fiction that you can swallow. And that is, is that Yehuda Hanasi felt and sensed that there was going to be a intense period of difficulty after his time. And they would not be able to bring together that same quality of learning and understanding. In other words, the, the repository of knowledge was going to become, um, uh, unless they 
contained it and glorified it and said, "This, these are the laws, they could not continue a dynamism. It couldn't continue flowing. We've got to put an end to this period and, 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 and guard it. And those were the halachos of the Tanoim, of the Mishnah, of the Braitos, Toseftos. Those are key and crucial. And further development of law is going to have to be in line with some of those earlier statements. And that was a, uh, the reason why they drew that line of demarcation, the Rambam says, is because they knew that they were going to be overwhelmed by political uh, and, 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 and uh, military considerations. They didn't have the wherewithal to continue. This, the communities would have to hunker down and just study what had been uh, in, uh, been ensconced in the past. And that was uh, an agreement that you are now in a different period. You're an Amora. You're not a Tana. And that was an acceptance because we don't have, the, the period of Tanoim has ended. Now, whether there was really such a stark political military difference or not, I don't know. But at least the Rambam tries to explain why it is that way. And that's, the Rambam repeats that idea when he says why we can't argue with the halachos and the Gemara. Because at the end of the Gemara's period, there was a shining moment. Rav Ashi, we talked about in length yesterday. Rav Ashi brought together the last remnant of the Babylonian sages in order to sort of put the halachic material together and then everything dissipated and we were thrown into a terrible exile and we just have to study the earliers. Again, that is a, a historical fiction. It probably isn't true, but at least it can, it can, we can swallow it as an explanation as to why we don't argue with the Gemara. We don't argue with it because we don't argue so that the, basically what happens is Tanoim and Amaroyim, the line is strict between them. A, a, a person like Abayi Varova, despite their brilliance, cannot suggest a halacha that is against the Tanoim. Right? And that's what we saw yesterday. Rava was challenged by the words of the Mishnah. He couldn't say, hey, I'm smarter than the Mishnah. I've got a different reason. So that's one interpretation of what a Tana is. And that's what we're seeing here. The Tana. We have a Tana. Not just a, a, a Rav Ashi and a Rava, as great as they were. We've got somebody, a giant from the past. Okay. Now, there's another interpretation of Tana, which is not what's being said here. And that's someone who lived in the period of the Amaroyim, but was sort of like a bibliophile. He was like the guy who was a researcher. And he found vestiges of material from the Tanoim. In fact, he might not even be so brilliant and he might not even be a superstar rabbi. He's just got a good memory and a good notebook. And he went around to the later rabbis. Hey, I found this material from the past. What are we going to do with it? Because it was exciting to find something from that glory days. <laughs> it was exciting during that period. Oh, did you find something that, that we weren't aware about? Those people were also called Atana. 
but in a very lower case, tough. <laughs> they were just, they were parrots or researchers who found material from the past. When the Gemara says Vitana, it means one of the real early giants. Okay, what does that real early giant say? Vitana, Maisi. Maisi means he brings. I say is to bring. It's an Aramaic word. Osi means to come in Aramaic. There's a uh, reference to it in the Pasuk in, um, in Divrei, uh, in Zosabrocha, that we read in the Torah, a little bit of Aramaic type language. In Zosabrocha, the Torah writes, Va'osa b'rivavos kodesh, Hashem misinai bo, v'zorach meseir lomo, hofia mehar paron, v'osa me'rivivos kodesh, which is translated as, <laughs> um, he, he approached <laughs> with some of the holy myriads approaching. Okay, that's the art scroll translation of osa. So osa, aleph tof, means to, to approach, to come. It finds itself in Aramaic constantly. Also, Vitana Maisila. Vitana approaches it or brings it. He brings this idea. Maisila, which idea about Erev Tavshilin? Mehocha. A key Gemara word, Hocha, from here, from this Pasuk. Okay. So, if remember what I said before a couple of minutes ago about the structure. We started with Adrasha from Shmuel an argument in Shmuel's and Amorah. We then saw a machlokas Amoroyim, Rav Ashi and Rava. And now all of a sudden, the editor, whoever put this together, decides to quote a Tana. Before we get to the source, there's a problem in structure. Up here, we had Minohani Mile. Where do we know this from? Well, if you were a good editor, you would say, give me the earliest source. What's the earliest source we have for this? Well, if we knew about this Tana, that's the earliest source, as I mentioned before. That should be the that should be the primary source. Why does the Gemara wait all these lines to introduce that? And what do we what do we right? This sounds to be disjointed. It's like a bunch of people having a bull session and saying, Well, here, there, this, oh, I, I found this at the end. Why is this here? It should be up here. That's the problem that Rashi has. And he, he expects you to have it. As I said yesterday, Rashi, Rashi is anticipating what your problem would be. Unfortunately, we don't learn Rashi that way. And I mentioned this yesterday. But let's do this Rashi, and then we're going to get to what the Tana said. The Tana brings it from here. Here's the Rashi of the words we just read. Rashi is going to uh, deal with the same question that I just said. That question is Rashi's question. Why are we mentioning this now? So look at Rashi says. Kain derech shitas hatalmud. This is the way of the lines and the approach of what Talmud does. By the way, the word Talmud is the right way to say what this is. Gemara <laughs> is actually a corruption 
of what it really is supposed to be. But it was a necessary corruption. This became a word like Republican or whatever, you know. Talmud, oh, why? Because during the Middle Ages, uh, the high and middle Middle Ages, uh, the Christian uh, turncoats, Jews had been Christians and Christians themselves, would look at the Talmud as it contains anti-Christian material. It's full of negative stuff. And therefore, they decided to come up with a different way of referring to it. Oh, it's Gemara, not Talmud. Oh, I see. Because the Talmud was the one, and the Talmud, the Talmud, the Talmud, the Talmud. The Talmud was, was what was, always had all the negative stuff, according to the Christians. And, according, and therefore, they had to always defend it. So as people wanted to keep on studying this and not uh, come under persecution, they changed the term to Gemara, which is the same thing. But when Rashi says, Rashi's not going to ever say, Cain derach shitas Because when Rashi spoke about it, Rashi spoke about it before those persecutions and censorship. So we still live in the shadow of that censorship and say, hey, how'd your Gemara shir go? But if you would go in a time machine back to the time of Rashi, Rashi would have asked his uh, daughters, maybe, how did your Talmud shir go? Not your Gemara shir. So this is what Rashi is saying. Kein derech shitas Talmud. That is the way Talmud is. Which is what? Keshematchilin ha'amaroim. When the Amaroim start beginning. Lachotzi tam minamikra. To try to get the reason from a Pusik. V'yesh tana shobraita. And there's a tana from that earlier age that we found in some varaita. Okay, since I'm doing a lot of translations of terms, and I, I hope it's uh, you're, you're happy with it, whoever's listening here, um, and I think that's part of what we're trying to do is, is define terms. What does the word braita mean? I've, I've used it before. What does the word braita mean? So braita comes from the word uh, uh, baro, which is like a child, and it really means something that's outside of yourself. Um, bra is something beyond you. Braita means something that didn't get into the Mishnah. It's external, right? Birta is the word for a daughter in Aramaic, birta, right? Bra is the word, or bar is the word for a son. A son is very close to you, but it's not you. <laughs> Sometimes we, we, we forget that. But the point is, is that braita means something external, it's from that period, but it, not, it didn't get into the Mishnah. That was the way we referred to these statements. They are from that time period, but they are ex, They are not part of the classic Mishnah. So v'yesh tana shobraita, there's a tana in one of those early statements. It didn't make it in the Mishnah, but there is a tana of the braita. Lamado tomi mokam acher. He learns it from a different place. So when that occurs, when that occurs, nokat hochi, they pick this way. They pick this way up, Rashi means. That's what they, that's the style they assume. Meaning, Rashi has to restate it for you. Jews always say a statement, then restate it. Kolomar, this means to say, in short, 
The Amaroyim that we're talking about it were pretty much confined to here. Hatana Loman Mikan. But we now discovered there was a Tana who learned it from a different place. So what does Rashi answer for us? Rashi says, I know it's not chronologically, systematically correct, but that's the way Talmud works. Talmud is, 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 is you're a fly on the wall of what the Amaroyim are talking about. Whether they actually saw each other or not, it's, it's as if there's a discussion going on among the Amaroyim. That's where Talmud starts. That's the, that's the framing device of how the discussion works. And even though if you'd be writing it, you'd probably quote the Tana, that's not the way Gemara works. That's not the way Talmud works. It starts with the Amaroyim, and then someone says, when this subject has been developed, hey, there's a Brisa. It wasn't in the Mishnah, but there's a Brisa. And, and, and let me repeat if there would be a Mishnah on this, then that would be a, 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 that would be incorrect. That would be like a that would not be that would be a wrong way because what you don't know the Mishnah, but not everybody knows Brightos. There's a reason why the people who lived in the time of, of the Amarayim weren't familiar with all the old material, because once Yehuda Anasi and company created the Mishnah as primary, the other material became less known. And therefore, the discussions of the Amarayim don't include the Brises necessarily, unless there's someone who dug it up. So that's the way Gemara works, or the Talmud works, Rashi says. That the Amarayim will discuss it, and then we're going to actually find some Tana and, and, and mention him as well at the end. Even though it sounds the improper way to proceed intellectually, that's the way Gemara works. And I guess Rashi's telling us to get used to it. But that it, it, it means this is where it starts. It's almost like like like, like many people writing fiction uh, will tell a story at the end, and then there's going to be a flashback, for, <laughs> and then you're going to finally go back to the to the the the, the, the common to the time that the novel starts. That's what's happening here. We start with the Amaroyim, and now there's like a throwback to something that Tana said, and that's just that's just the method the way it works. Okay. What is it that the Tana said? Okay, let's take a look. Okay, so here's a Pusik. Now, one thing that, that, that is crucial in the, um, in the study of Talmud is to have other books with you when you're learning the Talmud. One of the books you need to have, some people tell you, have a Jastra with you. Have a book of key phrases. All good stuff to have. But one thing you always have to have is a Tanakh. Is a pus is 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 because the Gemara is going to quote the Talmud's going to quote Sukim, and you want to see what's going on. As uh, more sophistication developed in the printing of of the Talmud, more help was on the way. For example, in the page here that you see on our screen, you see there's a number two here. That little number two goes over here. Okay, so. There's a Pusik. Let's take a look at that complete Pusik. Then we're going to go back and see the part that's being quoted by the Talmud. Vayomer Alehem. Hu asher diber Hashem. Shabbaton. Shabbat kodesh Hashem machar. Et asher toafu afu. 
that I share to Vashlu Bashlu that Koha Ode Vinichulachem Lemishmeret Adaboker. That's the verse that the Tana um, uses for Erev Tavshila. Now, there's something important about that verse. I'll tell you what's important about it. And why the rabbis uh, dissect it and come up with something at it. If you would take out a Tanakh, here's one, take out a Tanakh, or whatever, which one you use, you'll see that this was a response by Moshe Rabbeinu to why there was a double portion of Mun. They were surprised. Why are we getting double today? The Torah decides to switch from narrative to actual words that Moshe said. Let me explain that to you. I'm going to read you the Pusik. This is what you gain from having a, 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 a Tanakh with you or a, a Chumash with you when you are learning. So here's the Pusik uh, that's going to be uh, dissected. Okay. Um, they got a double portion. It was two omers for everyone. All the princes of the, of, of, of the community came. The leaders of the tribes. They were and then they came and said, Moshe, what's going on? What does this mean? Vayomer Alehem. Moshe then said to them, and here's a quote from Moshe Rabbeinu, Who Asher Diber Hashem? The Torah could have really uh, summarized Moshe's words. The Torah actually wanted us to hear Moshe's exact response. That means this is a very important response. It could have said, Vayomer Moshe Aleya, Moshe Marlehem Zemash, without necessarily saying these were Moshe's words. If these are Moshe's words in this historical story about discovering the Mon, the Torah was keying us that these, this is an important phrase, which is more important than just the history of what happened in the Midbar when the Mon fell, which is not happening anymore. It must be that the Torah wants us to read and hear Moses' words, Moshe's actual verbiage, to know what he said, and for that to have a posterity for us. What is it that Moshe said? Well, Moshe said, this is what God had told me. Tomorrow is a very holy day at Shabbat Shabbat And therefore, the simple meaning is, whatever you wanted to bake, bake it today. What you wanted to boil, boil today. You're going to have leftovers. And that's going to be something that you will keep guarded and ready till tomorrow morning. And you'll have it for tomorrow morning. And you'll have it, meaning a Friday night meal and a Shabbos meal. That's what, those are the exact words of Moshe Rabbeinu. All right. But it, Moshe, if that's what all he meant to say, he could have just said, okay, bake and cook for tomorrow. Look at the way Moshe said it in a flowery way. This that you should bake, bake. This that you plan to boil, boil. 
Why do we need to hear all that lengthy stuff? Even if Moshe said it in a lengthy way, why was it preserved for posterity with those terminologies? Aha, there must be something that the Torah and God, God told Moshe to write his quote in the Torah. What was it that was, it was meant to be? We are supposed to look at that sentence and hyperanalyze it and say, aha, Mikan Omar, Rebbe Lozer. This is what Rebbe Lozer says, right? Actually, it's changed to Rebbe Lezer here, the little Aleph tells me, that it's Rebbe Lezer. Rebbe Lezer ben Hurkanus, the famous Rebbe Lezer, the student of Yochanan ben Zakkai, that I mentioned before. This is where Rebbe Lezer said, and he's a Tana, 100%, Ein ofen el al-afui, ve'ein mevashun el al-mavushal. Meaning, there's something else here. It isn't just bake today, it's Friday, bake today. It's like something that you've already started to bake, continue to bake. Meaning, this that you've already started to bake, bake some more. This that you already started to boil, boil some more. Aha. So it's not, this. although Moshe didn't mean it that way, the way that sentence was preserved by God as Moshe's words is hinting to a time where you would actually continue your baking on Friday from something that you were doing on Thursday for Shabbos. Aha. So that's, uh, a, a reference, or at least a hint, something that can be seen as suggesting the situation where Yom Tov falls on a Friday. This is where the rabbis, the asmachta that we talked about yesterday, this is where they got it from. And as Rashi says, Here's Rashi. Rashi says, What should have been written was, Today Today is a day for you to bake. A day for you to bake and cook. Why does it say, Whatever you want to bake, bake? Why didn't Moshe say it more concisely? And why did God have to... To, to have Moshe speak in a way or put down Moshe's words where there's this extra phrase hinting to, and this is what Rashi says, Ella remezu. This is a remez, a hint. It's clearly not what Moshe meant. That, there was no yontif yet. <laughs> Moshe just meant bake for today, for tomorrow. But the phrase that Moshe used historically, which was, he was sort of a little bit long-winded in a sense. This that you're planning on baking, bake. God said, oh, I love that. I'm gonna, I want that to be in the Torah. And that was the hint the rabbis found to a situation where you're going to have a time that that ain't open. You don't start your cooking for Shabbos. It's ala ala fui. 
It's on something you already started doing. When? Bechamishi Mishabbos on Thursday. So that is a pretty complicated one, but but it, it sort of rings beautifully. It's like that's what Rebbe Eliezer said. That's where I. That's where the rabbis found the peg to push their agenda. And here, those of you, if you go back and listen to yesterday's shir, uh, we talked about the great machlokas of the Rambam and the Ritva about what asmachta means. What does it mean when the rabbis find these hints? So we have two hints in, in, in this page. One is from Zohar Siyom HaShabbos Lakacho, and the other is from this Pasuk Esasher Afu Afu. This one sounds more like the Ritva, that this was God embedding into this narrative part of the Torah a hint to an idea that the rabbis discovered to do the right thing. To, this was sort of the, 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 it wasn't just, hey, we need a Pusik to whitewash or to steamroll or to hoodwink people into accepting it. This sounds more like the Ritvo's approach from yesterday. You can listen to yesterday, we talked about that, that there are clues in the Torah. There are literary clues to what the rabbis are supposed to have done. And maybe the rabbis discovered this and said, oh, this is sort of like the finger pointing to us. Why did God preserve this conversation? Why did this long-winded answer of motion become preserved in the middle of a narration? It must be God wants us to mine it and get something from it. And maybe now that we see it's important to cook on uh, uh, to get ready and make sure Shabbos is preserved or whatever the rationale is, this might be the source for it. So I would say this brisa, it goes more like the ritva, whereas the first one from from Shmuel, which is not a brisa, the asmacht of Shmuel, sounds more like the Rambam, which is, hey, we know Zohar, Siyom HaShabbos, Lakacho, that has nothing to do with Erev Tamshilat. It's just about making Kiddush on Shabbos. But it's a good way to make sure people keep the rabbinic law by remembering that pasuk. Let's uh, let's go to the next section. I have about ten minutes. Let's go to the next section, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, the we talked about whether it's Rebeloza or Rebeliezer, and I mentioned when I looked here, I saw this little aleph, this Rashi aleph, which pointed up here. <laughs> Got to look for for the match. And you can see up here it says, Tzadi Lamed Eliezer. Okay? Tzadi Lamed is short for Sarich Lomar. It, it should say in the text Eliezer, not Eliezer. And then he says, again, this was Rabbi Shia Pick, who you know, tried to help uh, the Talmud page be more exact. Talk about him at a different time. And then you have Vacham. That's again Rashi Tevos for Vachain Mashma. And that seems to be what can be implied. Tosvos, you can see up here. That's short for Tosvos, the little streichel uh, uh, here, this little uh, comma upstairs. That's a streichel as opposed, right? Little, uh, right? Little half streichel. 
That's what it says in the Tosvos, Likamon, later, Adaf Yud Zion. Yud Zion, Amid Beis. When you see Yud Zion and these two dots, this, this colon, um, that is uh, the two dot. That means the second side of the page. So I didn't look there yet, but that is, uh, you'll see why this is important, that that is Rebbe Liezer, not Rebbe Lozer. Because, take a look. What comes right after this? Tafresh is always the quoting of a Mishnah or a Brisa, usually a Brisa. Tanu Rabbanan, Tafresh, always know that. Maisa Rebbe Liezer. Aha. We were just talking about Rebbe Liezer, who was the one who said the, the source. So now it sort of jives that the very next thing the Talmud does is tell us a preserved story about Rebbe Liezer. So let's see what the story is. A very famous story. Let's see. Let's read it. Maisa Rebbe Liezer. Now remember, since this is a Brisa, it's going to be a lot of Hebrew, not so much Aramaic. Let's see. Maisa Rebbe Liezer. Show you you'll shave. Vidoresh. He would be sitting and being doresh. Now, sitting, of course, is, is it's good because it keeps you in one spot. Doresh, of course, means he's giving a drosha. But what does a drosha mean? Doresh means to search out, to start with a question, an investigation. That's what doresh, right? We say it by doresh damim, even. God is going to find the murderers and, and, and who have persecuted us and, and, and punish them. Doresh means to find out. The base midrash, a place where people are searching, trying to find stuff out. So what he would do is he would pose great questions. He would he would raise questions and show you his method of investigation. And when was he doing it? Kol hayom kulo, the whole day, meaning er aniyamtiv. That's what he would do. Basically, he would spend yamtiv. But maybe, of course, there was some davening going on. But mostly what after davening was over, he would sit down and he would say, I got a great shear, I got a great drosha, join me in my investigation. And what is the topic? The laws of Yom Tov. Maybe Erev Tavshivan was one of them. Maybe other things. What you can do, what you can't do. What's Ochel Nefesh? What's not Ochel Nefesh? Right? But that's what he would do. What is about Pesach? Some laws about the bringing of the Omer are the Shrei Alechem. He would give a tremendous class that would last almost a whole day. What happened? Yotzta Kat Rishona. A Kat, you have a connection to this somebody here, right? But a Kat is, is of course, what? A Kat is, we call it the Kitot, like the class, the classroom. But it means a group. Right? A group. The first kat, yotzta kat rishona. The first group, whoever they were, they left. <laughs> they slipped out. They said, uh oh, we know what he's going to do. Right? <laughs> we know what he's going to do. He, right? The kat rishona. Why did they leave? So Rashi tells you why. Lissod sudat yom tov. Because <laughs> we got to go eat. Yom tov is about eating. We we can't stay here for more than that. I mean, we right? Vihini huhu, and they left him. Doresh, they just left him talking. He's going on with his investigation, and they're slipping out. The first group. Don't think he didn't notice it. 
<laughs> Don't think he didn't notice it. Omar, he said, he stopped his speech because everybody was like, excuse me, excuse me. They were moving and you could hear the door slam. It says, Halalu, those people, Bale Patsin. What does Patsin mean? Not Yiddish. <laughs> what does Patsin mean? Let's take a look. Rashi tells you. Chaviot gedolot hichinu lahem. They must have very large barrels of food. Ba'anamolin, Rashi says they put it with special spice in that food. Umasach mishtaot, they've got wine that's fermenting and, 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 and different types of drinks, which means they've got a lot of work on their yomtev meal. So he was saying to the people around him, he sort of was insulting them and saying, That's why they left early. Which really means, Klomar, what he really meant to say, key term Rashi uses over and over again, restating it, and meaning the words don't seem to say it, but that's what they really mean. Klomar, as if to say, Bale Nefeshein, these guys have a nefesh, meaning a physical desire to eat. <laughs> They're all about their meals. And they don't want to put effort. Yeah, it's hard when you're hungry to, to push yourself to study. They don't want to push themselves Torah to hear Torah. Rabbi Eliezer was a man who spoke his mind. Then what happened? Kachnia, a second group left, maybe 15 minutes later. Omar, he said, okay, they've got less food. Not like the patsin, which are gigantic barrels that needed a lot of uh, work on and a lot of supervision. These were small, small barrels. Then Kachlishit, the third group left. Omar, halalu they have small jugs at home. Then the fourth group left. The fourth group left. They have small little steins, little containers of food that they've got to take care of at home. The fifth group left. He said, They have uh, you know, large cups. The sixth group left. The sixth group was going to leave. Omar, then he said, Now, what did that mean? You guys, those people are about to leave, are going to get cursed. That's me'ira, is a curse. From the word arur. Why? Rashi says, Show you Medrash Ma'od. Now there's gonna be nobody left. Maybe there's one or two people who are part of his fans. But the base medrash is gonna look completely mitrokane. It's gonna be completely empty. Viganaya Dovar. It's gonna be insulting. It's gonna be an insult if you guys leave. So therefore, Natan Enav Betalmidim. He looked at them. And I guess, what did he mean by looking at them? Um, you know, he was looking at them and saying, are you guys going to leave or not? 
Their faces started to change. Their faces started to change. They didn't know. They wanted to have their meals. They wanted to give cover to their Rebbe, right? But also, they thought, as Rashi says, Kisvurin Shekoes. All right, so I, Rashi has a little bit of different interpretation than what I said. I want to, I want to rewind this for a second. The sixth group did leave, and it looked very empty. All the all the people that were there for Yontif special were gone. Who was left? The real hangers-on. Just the, the the real students that never would have left. The Talmidim, not the Kat. The Kat were the people who show up and they want to hear the rabbi once in a while. These were the ones that were close to him. The, he looked at them with a certain fierceness. So they were afraid that he was that he felt um right. That he felt that they thought that maybe when he when they had cursed the sixth group that they were cursed because they left <laughs> and they didn't they left not because they made the base medrash empty they thought this way Rashi is explaining it they thought that the sixth group was called cursed because they're not going to be able to really have a Shabbos meal anyway and therefore. He looked at them. They thought, hey, I guess we should have left a long time ago, too, because we're not going to have a Shabbos meal because we stayed almost till the end of this year, and there's no time to cook now and get the food ready for Yontif. So, Amr Lachem, B'ni, my children. Lo Lachem, Ani Omer. I'm not upset at you. And don't think I'm cursing you for, uh, I, I think that you should have gone home. Everybody, I was giving you life. What life was I giving you? The ones that left, I was giving you eternality, the eternal life. I was giving you Torah. I was giving you spiritual food that's going to last for your whole, past this mortal shell. And they decided that they wanted more the physical world of today. Now, we're going to stop here, but what is it that he was trying to say? He was trying, and this is, the Gemara is going to develop Rebbe Leezer. Rebbe Leezer feels, and I'm going to, uh, uh, we're going to talk about this more. Rebbe Leezer feels that a person can actually, on Yom Tif, turn it into a complete spiritual day where almost no eating and drinking go on. You can just connect yourself to Torah and you don't have to. In other words, Rebbe Leezer says there's two types of people in the world. There's people who are going to eat and drink and there's people who are going to learn Torah. Every yuntif, you have the day off, you have the chance to just zero in on Torah, and be a Torah person to the ultimate degree. That's Rebbe Leezer's opinion. 
And he, that's what he expected. He, he had confidence in the way he spoke. He expected everybody to be plugged into him. That's what he was saying. He's saying, look, you guys, you guys at least stayed. You guys at least stayed till the end. The other people who left, they took a different option. I'm not saying that they are evil. But there's two ways to get simcha on Yantif. There's eating and drinking, and there's also loving a Torah and just being just being involved in a incredible, exciting conversation of Torah. You guys could they could have done that, and they didn't. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.